So it wasn't a great idea for y'all to come to church today. <laughs> I mean, I love that you're here. Thanks for being here. But you might have wished that you'd stay home. Before I get into too much trouble, because I can see Brenda being like, where are you going with this? Let me explain. The last few weeks we have been looking at Wesley's uh, rules for the use of money. The working principle for this sermon series has been that when it comes to our finances, we really don't need more money, although sometimes it feels like we do. What we really need is wisdom when it comes to using our money. If we had wisdom, we'd realize that God had already blessed us with all that we need to thrive and more. Wesley's first rule was to earn all that you can. Work hard, succeed, be wise when it comes to earning money. There are caveats. Wesley had caveats. Like you can't earn all you can by immoral means or by ways that hurt others. You shouldn't earn all you can at the expense of your family or your soul, but do earn all that you can through hard work and industry. Once you have earned all you can, you ought to save all you can. Don't waste your money. Don't trifle away money. Come to see the money that you have as God's money and manage that money the way God would want you to. What would God want you to do with that money? Get something that you don't particularly need or hold it as God's steward? That was a timely message the week before Black Friday, if I do say so myself. That's what we have looked at the last three weeks. And here's the thing. If we would just stop now, I think we'd all be happy. Because earning all we can and saving all we can, that's how we get rich. If we could work hard and succeed and advance and earn all we can, and then if we are disciplined and save all we can, we're going to amass more and more wealth. And isn't that the dream? Or at least the American dream. But there is a third rule. And it's a third rule that's going to ruin that dream of getting rich. And to talk about that rule, we're going to look at a story of a man who had his life ruined by Jesus. Or saved. It's really all in how you look at it. We're looking at Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Some context here might be helpful for the rest of our story. Being a tax collector in the ancient world wasn't like working for the IRS, where you'd get a salary from the IRS as you processed people's taxes. Instead, in the ancient world, if you were a tax collector, you had an amount of money that you were supposed to return to your boss. But there wasn't necessarily a standard tax. There was what you, as the tax collector, told the person they owed. And again, you aren't getting a salary from your boss. Your salary would come from overcharging people in your jurisdiction. So when we hear that Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector, here's what that code means. He was a cheat. He cheated his own people to pay the hated Romans who were the occupying force, and he cheated his own people so that he could have a reward. His wealth came from taking from his neighbors. But in some respects, Zacchaeus was living the American dream. He worked hard, and he got wealthy. 
The American dream doesn't necessarily care how we get rich, although we as people of faith might. The American dream is that we can get rich by whatever means we need to. And so Zacchaeus is an economic success story. We have no other information about him other than that he worked hard at his job and he was wealthy. Continuing on in the story, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Fun fact, the Bible doesn't tell us to whom the he refers. The Bible says he was short, but it doesn't say whether it was Jesus or Zacchaeus that the pronoun referred to. I have this theory that we're all going to get to heaven. We're going to find out that Zacchaeus was six feet, four inches tall. And that Jesus was short and Zacchaeus really hated the wee little man songs. But that's for another day. Let's, can, let's finish the story. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus says he is going to share a meal with Zacchaeus, and the people are shocked. Why is Jesus eating with this despised person, they ask. And in that brief exchange, we get the sense that maybe money can't buy everything. Maybe Zacchaeus doesn't really have it all. Zacchaeus worked hard, albeit in a less than reputable field. But nonetheless, he worked hard. He gained fortune and in some respects gained fame. People knew who he was. When Jesus said he was going to Zacchaeus' house, people knew what that meant. And as a wealthy person, I'm sure Zacchaeus was accustomed to hosting other wealthy and important people. But I wonder if he expected to host Jesus. I wonder if he expected Jesus would want to stay with him. Because in many respects, Zacchaeus traded in love, community, and fellowship for fame and wealth. Zacchaeus made himself despised by his community by cheating them and kind of stealing from them in order not just to earn a living, but to earn vastly more than he needed. And in that respect, he violated Wesley's first, one of Wesley's caveats to the first rule. Wesley said, earn all you can, but never pay more than something is worth. In earning all he could, Zacchaeus paid for his wealth with his relationships, with the bonds of those in his community. But in spite of all this, or perhaps because of all this, Jesus says he is going to stay with Zacchaeus. A number of things happen that we're going to get to, but at the end it is pronounced that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And there are two distinct ways that we can look, look at and interpret this pronouncement that salvation had come to Zacchaeus that day. One way we can talk about it is the fact that Zacchaeus was welcomed into relationship with Jesus. How many of us have felt salvation come into our lives when we encounter Jesus? Jesus offers to come and stay with Zacchaeus, and in that encounter, in that relationship, 
salvation comes to Zacchaeus' home. When we talk about salvation, oftentimes what we are talking about is a thing called justification, a restoration of a relationship between us and God. And in that restored relationship, we hear the promise that we will be loved by and live with and know God forever. God calls us child. God invites us into relationship with himself and in that promises us love and grace and mercy for eternity. But something else happens in this encounter. When Jesus says that he will be staying with Zacchaeus, when Jesus opens the door for a relationship with Zacchaeus, something happens. Zacchaeus promises to give half of his possessions away and what's more, promises that the peop- to the people he's cheated he will repay four times what he's taken from them. In the ancient world, if you were found guilty of cheating someone, the proper restitution was to pay the cheated amount times two. So if I stole $5 from you, because I really needed a Starbucks coffee, and I wanted to atone for that because having come to my senses, having drank the coffee, I now felt bad, I'd give you $10 and we'd be all cool. And you'd take it and, and it was just known, if I give you the $10 because I stole 5 everything's good. And you, you have to be okay with it. Here Zacchaeus is saying that he is going to go over and above that. He is going to pay double restitution. If he cheated you, he's going to give you four times what he took. Before we talk about what that has to do with salvation, I want to layer this story with a common story from the Bible about money. This comes from Mark chapter 12, but it's in, I think, most of the Gospels. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So Zacchaeus gives half of his possessions and pays double restitution for those whom he's cheated. A poor widow gives all she has. And in this, we see salvation. Now wait a second, Pastor Matt. Didn't the Protestant church literally start because the Catholics were allowing people to buy their salvation? True. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is what happens when our hearts are overwhelmed by the love of God we find in, the, in relationship with God. Oftentimes we try to separate what happens in our lives spiritually and how we live our lives in the world. We have our spiritual lives and we make certain decisions within a spiritual sphere and we have our world lives and we make certain decisions about how we live our lives out in the world. And sometimes we want to pretend like the two aren't related and that each is separate and discreet. But it's just not true. What we see plainly in these two stories are that what happens in our hearts, in our spirits, in our souls radiates outward into our interactions and relationships with each other out in the world. Zacchaeus' story underscores the deep reality that salvation is not merely a spiritual experience that prepares us for life after death. 
Salvation is the way that God transforms every area of our life so that we become a part of God's saving work in this world. Salvation changes our hearts by changing the fundamental orientation of our living, including, and perhaps especially, the way we use our money. Salvation sets us free from bondage to narrow self-interest, and it opens our lives to the way the Spirit of God can work through us in the lives of others. Jesus says he is coming to stay with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by this offer of relationship, and what immediately happens is a change of behavior in Zacchaeus. He realizes he can no longer cheat his neighbors. He realizes that he can no longer accrue wealth on the backs of his community. So he gives it all away. The poor widow wants so badly to come into the presence of God. She is willing to give everything she has in order to make that happen. Her gift reveals her heart because she is giving everything. In giving everything for God, she reveals what her priorities truly are. The first two rules in this sermon series have provided general wisdom on the, youth, on the use of money. In some respects, they are Christian, but in others, they are ways to not feel anxious about money. Earn all you can and save all you can. The first week we talked about needing wisdom around our finances. That for many of us, what we need isn't more money, it's wisdom in properly using our money. That if we had wisdom, we would find ourselves blessed. And if we employed wisdom in earning all we can and saving all we can, I imagine so many of us would no longer feel the anxiety around money that permeates so much of our lives and thoughts. But all along, we have talked about how these rules would help us to faithfully use our money, to let our financial lives reveal and speak to our faith. And that's where this week comes in. Wesley's final rule on the use of money was that having earned all you can and saved all you can, you give all you can to the work of God in the world. We're coming to the end of our sermon series on the use of money, and we're going to ask you today, if you haven't already, to make a financial commitment to Spirit and Life Church for the upcoming year. And oftentimes what happens when the church asks you to give money or asks you to give more money, and you do it, it, it causes you greater anxiety. Because we are keenly aware that money is a finite resource. We only have so much of it. And there are so many competing demands for our money. So when the church asks you for more money, you think about the things you won't be able to buy, the things that you will have to save longer to get, the things you'll have to take out in order to give more to the church. But for Zacchaeus and for the widow, giving wasn't something that was done with anxiety or begrudgingly. Giving was done joyfully. And the hope is that when we can see where God has blessed us, if we can see how God has blessed us, giving and being generous can be done joyfully. If we earn all we can and save all we can, we see that we have abundance. God has given to us in abundance. And when it comes time to give, we are not giving out of scarcity. Instead, we are giving out of abundance. I don't know about you, but it's easier for me. It's easier and more joyful for me to give when it comes from a place of perceived abundance. If I have a lot of cookies, I am more likely 
to share my cookies with you. But if I only have one cookie left, it's going to be tough for me to give you my last cookie. Because I want to eat that last cookie. That last cookie is mine. And really, it's silly when we say cookies. But you could sub in pretty much anything into that analogy. My belief here is that most of you, if not all of you, want to be more generous. You aren't actually sad that you came to the give all you can sermon. But what holds you back from being more generous, whether to the church or to other organizations or to people, is the scarcity we all feel around our finances. If we can figure out how to employ our wisdom, if we can live out earning all we can and saving all we can, we can find ourselves freed up to give all we can and to do it joyfully. But here's where we're going to end today. Here's where we have to end today. It all comes down to a choice, to a commitment. Zacchaeus had to decide to climb down from that tree. He had to decide to make restitution. He had to decide to give away half of his possessions. The widow had to decide to put all she had into the collection box. Today we are going to offer you a similar choice. We're going to ask you to make a similar commitment. We're going to close today in a moment of silent prayer, meditation, and reflection. If you have not already filled out your pledge card, please pray about what commitment you can make and fill out this sheet of paper. And then in a few moments when you come forward for communion, please place it in the offering basket. We'll send these around one last time. This is your time to make a choice. Like Zacchaeus, like the widow, to make a commitment. How are you going to move forward? Having heard Wesley's simple rules on the use of money, how will you take them and apply them to your life? Take a few moments in silence, prayer, and meditation.